Welcome to the teaching ministry of Faith Bible Church. We pray as you listen to the following message, you will be encouraged and equipped to passionately pursue Christ. For more information, please visit our website at fbcevansville.com. Although we would not say it, what many of us are looking for is an easy life. Just easy. We want the fewest conflicts possible. That's why we get shocked when we go to work and encounter an unreasonable boss, or terrible coworkers, or difficult children, or hardship in your marriage. You get confused. You think, I didn't think life, or especially the Christian life, was supposed to be this hard. <laughs> what that means is what you expect and what you're looking for in life is for it to be fairly easy on one of the lower difficulty settings, especially as a Christian. If you could just get by, put in your hours at work, fill up your 401k, your nest egg, whatever, retire, move down to Florida, live out your days in relative peace, and slip away while you're sleeping into death. Think, if you could just have that, that's all you're asking. That's it. That's not much. You're just asking for that, and if God would give that to you, you would return the favor by doing, attending, giving, serving, in whatever way He asks, as long as it's fairly easy. But you would do that for God if He would just give you that sort of easy way of life. Well, I'm here to burst your bubble, and I do have bad news for you because this is what Jesus has said of the Christian life, and He will not haggle the price any lower. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And whatever else a cross may be, it is not easy. Through many tribulations, Paul said, we must enter the kingdom. And do you know when Paul said that to encourage the churches? It was immediately after people had tried to stone him to death outside of Lystra. He got up, dusted himself off, went around to the churches and told them, told you today, through many tribulations. Easy? No. It's hard. Now, you might object and say, well, Paul was a missionary, and that's why we pay money to the missionaries, to go and do the hard things so we don't have to do them. No. No, although you might not be called to missions work in the same way that Paul was, every calling of God, every gifting of God is hard if you do it well. There's none that's easy. God did not mean for it to be easier, even in the case of missions, for those of us who stay than for those who go. It's supposed to be equally hard for us in different ways, hard for them. The Christian life is not an easy thing, and that could be partly why you may feel dissatisfied this morning with your own Christian experience, because maybe you have gone through many difficult circumstances as a believer, and although you don't explicitly say it, you're disillusioned because you think, I didn't think it was going to be this hard. What did you think it was going to be? Maybe easy. But Jesus set out from the beginning, said from the very beginning, it would not be easy. Right now, what you're living out is the cross phase of your life. There is a crown phase when Christ returns or you go to Him in glory. And that's easy. In fact, Scripture calls that a Sabbath rest, a perpetual one, where you will rest forever. That's easy. 
But you're not there. This is the cross phase and you live in a world that has been cursed since Eden with thorns and thistles. There is a Sabbath rest on day seven, but we're living in day six right now. And so the reality is everyone has to make the choice and you have to make the choice too. What do you want more? Easy or Jesus? I'll have both of those. <laughs> no, it's like a child choosing dessert. And the parent says, you get one or the other. They say, well, why not both? It's just not the way it's designed. You can have one, you can have the other. And our flesh is always crying out, always. Pick easy. <laughs> Please pick easy. Or at least barter with God and find a middle way where you kind of have Jesus and you kind of have easy. You can't have two masters. It's Jesus or it's easy and it's not both. And Christ at the same time is looking back at you with his hand extended and saying, come on, pick me. Keep going up the mountain. There are beautiful views at the top, but we're not there yet. You've got to keep marching up. You're tired. The backpack's heavy, but it's Christ himself who's saying, I know it's hard. As a sympathetic high priest, he knows more than anyone that it's hard. And he's walking the mountain with you, and he's saying, pick me. It'd be easier to stop. It'd be easier to go down the mountain. It'd be easier to renounce Christ. But keep going up the mountain. So lift those knees, brother. Pick up your feet, sister. What is a little bit of hardship when at the end of it are views so majestic that when we're in heaven, we'll look back and we'll laugh about the hardest things you're going through now and think, why did we think those were so hard? In light of eternity, they'll dwindle away. And as we're coming to the very end of Paul's letter to the Galatians, it's this very contrast between the difficulty, the hardness of our life now as Christians but the joy and the grace and the radiance that attends it, that contrast, that's how Galatians ends in these final two verses. Let's see that. Galatians chapter 6, verses 17 and 18. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. What do we have here? On the one hand, we have Paul's final command in verse 17. And then we have a grace benediction in verse 18, then an amen, and we're done. But on the other hand, what this couplet sets before us is the reasons you shouldn't follow Christ in verse 17. But right next to all the reasons you should in verse 18. Verse 18 is the reason so many of us do follow Christ even though it's not easy. And it's summarized in that word grace. We would rather have the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and a hard life than an easy life without that grace. So that's what we're going to look at here. And my prayer is this would be the mindset of every single 
one of us to choose the more difficult direction, but to do so fully conscious that we are doing it for the grace that is ours in Jesus Christ. As Andrew said in Sunday school, no Eeyores, no Eeyores. We will talk about how hard the Christian life is, but with joy because of the grace that is ours. So let's do that. Let's look now at the hardships of the Christian life, which are reflected in the life of Paul himself here in verse 17, so that we can move on to verse 18 and see the grace that compels us to walk this hard path anyway. So begin with the hardships. Verse 17, reflected in Paul's life. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. And we're going to see in just a moment how what Paul says here and his hardships relate to yours, because you're not an apostle and you're not Paul. How do they relate to yours? But let's put that aside for a second and consider first how they relate to Paul himself, his own hardships that he's talking about most directly here. If you look at the last half of this verse, you find the physical hardships of Paul's Christian life. Without almost any doubt, the marks of Jesus that he describes are literal, physical scars on his body. He says it, they're on my body and they are the marks of Jesus because these are the scars and injuries he's acquired over the years from serving Jesus. And it makes sense because if you remember when Paul was first radically converted, Jesus told Ananias, go to that man. And Jesus said, I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. That was years before this and it all proved true. If you want to know just something of Paul's physical sufferings as an apostle, he records so many of them, you remember, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And if I just pull from that list of Paul's sufferings, those that could leave lasting physical damage, we would find this. Verse 23, countless beatings and often near death. Verse 24, Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. That's 39 beatings with a whip, drawing blood. Five times. You can do the math. That's a lot of lashes. Verse 25. Three times, only three, not five, but three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, and yes, stoning He's supposed to be fatal, but they didn't manage to kill him. They thought he was dead. And this was actually, the stoning, we'll see, took place in the regions of Galatia. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. And verse 27, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. That is not a good self-care routine. But this was Paul's life for years. And you don't live that kind of life without physical consequences. He was not supernaturally prevented from physical harm. Actually, it was part of the divine will that he experienced quite a lot of physical harm. And he did. And it left him with physical consequences. The marks of Jesus, these scars on his body. Let me just read for you briefly in Acts 14, when he mentioned, once I was stoned, like I said, that was in the regions of Galatia, outside of a city called Lystra. 
And let me just present this to you as one example of where the marks of Jesus came from in the Apostle Paul. Acts 14, beginning verse 19, But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, guess where they went? They returned to Lystra. <laughs> you can't kill them. You can't get rid of him. Now, I don't know how badly damaged your body has to be for the people stoning you to assume that you're dead as they drag you outside of a city, but it has to be pretty damaged. I don't know, again, supernatural intervention in Paul's life to keep him alive or revive him or whatever, but he was very hurt by the throwing of large stones at his body until he seemed dead. That's where the marks of Jesus come from. Paul is a lot like Rocky, if you've seen the movie. He can just take infinite punches, and he just keeps getting up when you think he's going to stay down. That's exactly what he did, and that's why he ended up with so many scars. I bear on my body, on his literal body, the marks of Jesus. Now, the reason that Paul mentioned the physical suffering he had endured is actually to point us away from the physical suffering to something else. If you look at the first half of verse 17, from now on, let no one cause me trouble for, why? For I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. In other words, Paul saw the physical lasting consequences of being stoned and beaten and whipped over the course of his life for Jesus as a mark of his authenticity proving that he was a genuine apostle. It's like he told the Corinthians, I'm not in this for the money. I'm not in this for prestige. I'm in this because God called me to it. And if you want the evidence, look everywhere. Scars. What am I getting out of this? The marks of Jesus for Paul prove that he belonged to Jesus, that he was a true apostle of Jesus. And that forms the basis of his argument in verse 17 when he tells them, so stop causing me trouble. Do you really want to cause trouble to a genuine, called-by-God apostle? No. That's what verse 17 is saying. But that first part, the argument he's actually making here, from now on, let no one cause me trouble, actually points us away from the physical suffering of Paul's life to another kind of suffering which was just as prominent, which is, we can call it the emotional suffering, if you will or the emotional pain of his life. Emotional scars, that's a popular term. Emotional scars is what he's talking about now. Because if you look at the verse, the trouble to which Paul is referring is not physical suffering. The Galatians were not physically hurting Paul. But they were causing him trouble. You can tell that they were already causing him trouble because he says, from now on. <laughs> he's really saying, stop causing me trouble. What is the trouble that the Galatians were causing Paul? It was the emotional suffering of him at a distance yearning for them not to turn away from the true gospel so that all the work he did among them would not be in vain. It is his yearning heart 
toward the Galatians, causing him inner pain, what he here calls trouble. And he says, stop that. Stop causing me that trouble. We've seen this throughout Galatians at the beginning. I'm astonished, he said, that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. He's astonished. And Paul's wrestling, even at a distance, writing letters, praying for them. Even at a distance, he calls his labors for the Galatians to keep them from going full-fledged toward the Judaizers and abandoning the gospel. He calls that something equivalent to the pain of childbirth, which I don't know and none of us men do, but that's what he called it in Galatians 4.19, my little children for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. And then back in 2 Corinthians 11, that list of Paul's sufferings, at the very end, after listing all the physical ways he suffered, he says, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. So as he's being beat with rods, he's also worrying about the health of the churches. Trials without, trials within. So this is the hardship for Paul. Now, the question becomes, how does this relate to you as a Christian who is not an apostle, <laughs> who is not probably being beat with rods because of your proclamation of Jesus Christ? Even so, there is a real sense in which the life Paul lived, he lived as an example for us. Although he's an apostle and he's different than us, Christ put him there and made so many of the New Testament letter, letters about Paul so that he would be an example for us. Meaning, his life as an apostle cannot be so far removed from ours that there's no connection or he's not much of an example. And the same proved true here. Yes, there are some details here that will differ from you. You've not had the 39 lashes of the juice, and you don't have the worry for all the churches that bore upon him as an apostle. True. But his experience of the Christian life was not so far without, outside of the realm of Christian experience that we can't relate to it. In fact, there's a real sense in which, at its root, Paul's experience of the Christian life was the normal Christian life. The same kind of normal Christian life that you and I live with a few different details. So when Paul speaks of the marks of Jesus, it's true that he is referring to his physical scars. But actually, there's a double meaning here. Because in Paul's day, it was not uncommon for slaves to receive a tattoo from their masters to indicate the slave belongs to me. Now, we know slavery never should have been, and yet it was, and Paul appeals to it here. He's drawing a picture. The word that he uses in the Greek is the same word that would have been used in those cases. Paul is saying, I have been marked as a servant belonging to Jesus. And how did that marking happen? By being stoned. It was the scars across his body. Paul saw his own physical suffering and its consequences, and I'm sure he could say the same of his emotional suffering, but he saw it as part of what proved, I am living a true and faithful Christian life. 
it proved his authenticity as an apostle, the marks of Jesus. And to that degree, in that way, although you're not suffering in identical ways to Paul, you do bear upon yourself the marks of Jesus in some way. You do belong to him as his servant. And you do experience suffering for his sake. That's the connection to us in this passage. Every Christian has the marks of Jesus upon them somehow. Now what does that look like for us? Here's the simplest way to put it. Any suffering that you would have avoided if you did not follow Christ faithfully, that makes up the marks of Jesus for you. So if you're a believer and you've been burnt in the church, you would not even be in the church in a position to be burnt if you were not a believer. So that comprises a part of your suffering for Christ. Now granted, it's different than being beat with rods. I understand that. We're talking, but it's a difference of degree, not of nature. It is a suffering for Christ's sake. If you go and try to serve someone, and they turn on you for personal reasons, and you get hurt by that because you were serving them for Christ's sake, you suffered for Christ's sake. Or again, you're a believer, and now you experience within yourself the pain of conviction over your own sin. You're having to face your pride, your anger, whatever, honestly, in a way you never would have had to do if you were not a believer. And it hurts more than you can express. That is also part of the marks of Jesus. You don't have that outside of Christ. Or what about this? Maybe you just have trials that are not even directly related to you being a Christian. Disease, suffering, hardships at work. But if you were not a believer, there would be a variety of opportunities for you to numb the pain of those trials. You could use substances, you could turn to alcohol, to drugs, prescription drugs, you could turn to pornography, you could inundate your mind with entertainment. The way that we, before we know Christ, numb our suffering, you could do that if you were not a believer. But as a Christian, you say no to those things, and what are you left with? You have to face the pain of your situation directly and head on. And you wouldn't have to do it that way if you were not a believer. All of these kinds of sufferings, and it's hard to quantify it, but all of these sufferings together do make up a sort of the marks of Jesus for each of us. We suffer, we ought to suffer as Christians. It is a part of the Christian life. The Christian life is not easy. And if you've been looking for an easy life and you become a Christian with that expectation, you will be disillusioned. You don't find it in Paul. You don't find it in Jesus. You don't find it in any of the early disciples. So why do you think your life will be easy? <laughs> Whose life was easy in the Bible? Who did well? Nobody. And it won't be true of your life either. There will be some kind of marks of Jesus in your life. You say, well, I thought I, thought I was getting into Christianity because the abundant life and the joy and the peace and all those things and people smile and love each other. Yes, they do. And yes, you experience those things, but let me remind you of the words of Jesus when he said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel, whatever your suffering may be, 
who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time because you become part of the family of God and we all take care of you, okay? Houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, lands with persecutions and in the life to come, in the age to come, eternal life. See, we were almost set up for a blissful existence here until Jesus threw in with persecutions. Now, for us to live in a time unique in history where we don't experience a lot of persecution, say, I don't relate to this passage. Nobody's beaten me. Nobody's hitting me. Well, I think if we live in a time like this where there are less external persecutions toward us as Christians, then God, to make up for the lack of trials externally, will faithfully, as a good father, provide many other opportunities for us to suffer and grow through trials. So don't think that just because there's less external persecution, your life will be easy. We live in America. We're not, be we're not being beaten. So life should be easy. No. The external persecution in the life of the church is how God removes the dross from His church. And so if there's not that persecution, if we want to be faithful, there has to be other kinds of trials. They have to come from somewhere. The worst thing that could possibly happen for any of us individually and for our church collectively would be for things to get easy ongoingly. But see how Paul thought of his past suffering as a Christian. He calls it the marks of Jesus. Takes it, he wears it up here as a badge of honor. Scars, deformed body, aches and pains when he gets up in the morning from having large boulders thrown at him. But he calls these things the marks of Jesus. We do live in a time, and I don't know the reasons, maybe you do, where I perceive quite a bit more of a holding on to bitterness for all of us. It's in the air. A holding on to bitterness when people are hurt, when they are offended. There's just a great degree of holding on to that and coddling that until it grows. Perhaps it's just a part of the greater victim mentality that's common in our day more than in ages past. But even today when you find someone who's been burnt by the church or who suffered as a Christian among other believers, that can be so hard to let go of and we begin to feel, of our, feel ourselves to be these victims who've suffered and therefore if we abandon church or live an immoral lifestyle, or treat others poorly, or become bitter. We excuse it on the basis of the things we're holding on to. But you know what Paul did with the hurts he experienced, even from believers, like with the Galatians? He called those the marks of Jesus. They, for him, were weaknesses in which he boasted. They didn't calcify into hard bitterness, but instead became a source of his joy and boasting that he had the privilege of suffering all of these things for Christ. Who thinks like this? <laughs> None of us. That's why we're in Scripture. It's supposed to change our thinking to be this way. But that is the way that Paul viewed his suffering. And it's the same with your suffering as a Christian. You have scars of some kind that have accumulated if you've been a faithful believer. And what are you going to do with them? You're going to be ashamed of them, hide them away, use them to justify poor behavior, get angry at God. Those are marks of honor. If Christians have treated you poorly because you are being faithful, 
Spirit of God and of glory rests upon you. What did you want? You wanted an easy Christian life? No, you want a faithful Christian life. Then we're turning the setting on to heart. It's the only way that it happens. If you have some distance between yourself and your family because you're one of those odd, radical, maybe cultish believers, and they're all for Christianity, but you're taking it way too seriously, and this invisible wall goes up, and you feel that. Praise God for that. What an honor that you have that opportunity to have even, you're not being beaten with rods, but even that awkwardness in your family that's come about because you're a faithful Christian. Praise God for that opportunity. That is a mark of Jesus. You wear that with honor. If at the workplace you're known as the Christian and everyone cleans up their language around you and you're not welcomed into the inner circles, praise God for that mark of honor. We don't have to come back into church and grumble about it. It's a mark of honor. It's something to thank God for. That's the way Paul viewed having been stoned. Praise God, I was stoned with stones. Now I have the marks of Jesus upon me. Now we've been talking all this time about the hardships of verse 17, which are, like I said, common to any faithful Christian life. But that is only half our passage and even the less interesting half. Because for us as believers, though we acknowledge the hardships, they're not our focus. Now we move from the hardships of the Christian life to the grace. Verse 18, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. We do imagine that the onlookers marveled when the dead Paul outside of Lystra, bloodied, beat up, laying there, began to move and <laughs> stood up probably marveled at that, and they probably marveled even more that when he stood up, having just been stoned, he went back into the city. <laughs> at least go to Derby, you know, go to the next city, but he went back into the city. And who's in the city of Lystra but the people who just stoned him, they're still in there. And he goes back into the city, and then he goes to Derby, and then after Derby, where does he go? Uh, let's go back to Lystra and see the believers there. <laughs> what motivates a man like Paul to do that? Again, do not take Paul and put him on a pedestal so far away that there's no connection between his life and yours, his motivations and yours. The thing that drove Paul to get up back into the city, leave back into the city, suffer more. When he says, five times I was whipped, three times beat with rods, you know, it could have just been one time. And for many of us, it would have just been one time and we'd learn our lesson and not trouble the authorities again. Five times. Why does he keep getting up and keep going even though the Christian life is so hard? <clears throat> the answer is what's found in this benediction at the end of Galatians and in fact, at the end of so many of his letters and the beginnings. Grace to you in peace. He mentions grace, grace, grace. Grace is the thing that drove the Apostle Paul. 1 Corinthians 15.10, he makes this crystal clear. By the grace of God, I am what I am. Why you keep getting up, punch, dropping up again? How can you do that? Well, it's by the grace of God that I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of the other apostles, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. 
This means that even given all the scars, physical, emotional, Paul was happy to walk back into Lystra. He was happy to do it. When he had been beaten four times and there was a fifth in his future, he was happy to walk into that future. Now, if you met the Apostle Paul with the marks of Jesus upon him, his body rather bent out of shape because of the suffering he's endured, you might expect to be finding someone like we can all find of ourselves. As we age and get older, parts of your body stop working, you get aches and you get pains, and with it comes the wave of temptation to grumble and commiserate about these bodies that are failing. You would expect that in Paul. And you would not find that in Paul. He would not be the man with drooping shoulders. Life has been so hard on me. My body is falling apart for Christ. That's not who Paul was. You remember we studied Philippians. Paul wrote that from prison. Not a fun place to be. And what is the predominant word that occurs throughout Philippians? Joy! Rejoice! I rejoice I'm in prison. You should rejoice. The gospel's going forth. I'll probably die. That would be better. That's Philippians. This is not someone at a nursing home who has allowed the body to overtake the soul and it's just all fatalistic. That's not Paul. Even though his body had the marks of Jesus, even though he was falling apart physically, you could say, now, I sometimes tell you that, you know, I would do what I'm doing here, preaching the gospel, even if you stop paying me. But it's just hypothetical when I say it, thankfully. But for Paul, that was true. You know, he wasn't paid. If he needed money, he'd go make tents on his own, sell them, so that he could go and be beat some more. <laughs> so what's motivating this man? It's not money. Is it prestige? No, he gave that all up. His kinsmen hate him. That's why he's being beaten and whipped. And most of the nations he goes to, except for a tiny minority of the population, they hate him and try to kill him too. It's not prestige. It's not financial gain. Why is he running headlong into whippings and beatings and suffering with joy? And the answer comes in this word, grace. That is the fuel in the tank for Paul. It's grace. Now, I don't know about you, but Basically, every time I renew my study of grace, I feel like I'm encountering it for the first time. And maybe that's because it's such a common Christian word, we take it for granted. But what exactly is grace? At its very root, grace is favor. And we often say unmerited favor as a Christian because we don't deserve it. So it's unmerited favor. And that's true. But maybe in a way we would better comprehend. This favor shows itself like this. When Paul celebrates the grace of Christ, what he means is, Christ likes me. And because of Christ, God likes me. God, the creator of the universe, he's on my team. If I need anything, he will give it to me. And he's taking me to be with him forever in paradise, full of so many joys. Why? Because he likes me, and he's on my team, and I'm on his team. That is what the grace of Christ is. This is what the cross was about. Here you are, not liked by God. We call that God's wrath because of your sin, your offenses against him. 
and Christ goes to the cross and absorbs the wrath of God against your sin, gives you his righteousness so that what? So that God likes you. I know I'm putting it maybe over simply, but that's what grace is about. It's you waking up in the morning and knowing that God in heaven is on your team. He is on your side. He is not set against you. He's set for you. He's behind you, pushing you forward. He's leading you in the way that you should go. That's why as Christians, Paul, and we can say, if there are hardships ahead, it doesn't really matter because God's going with us ahead. And nothing is too hard for the Lord. This is why the gospel to Paul is called the gospel of the grace of God. It is Christ reconciling us to God so that God no longer is angry, but he likes us. He favors us. That's the kind of favor here. Now, you might wonder then, if that's the case, why does Paul wish that for the Galatians? Don't they already, through Christ, have Christ's favor? They already have that. But really what Christ is requesting in this benediction is that they would experience more of the outworkings, more of the evidences of Christ's favoring of them. That's what the benediction means when he wishes them grace, the grace of Jesus in their life. And that is the same thing that, of course, we wish for ourselves. And that is the same thing that motivates us to push on through hardship Every good thing in your life, it is an evidence of the grace of God. Why do you have nice clothes? Because of the grace of God. Why did you wake up this morning? It was the grace of God. You have a vacation on the calendar? That's the grace of God. You have the financial resources to feed yourself and your family? That is the grace of God. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, that's yours. It's the grace of God. Even in this text, he finishes by saying, brothers, gives the benediction and says, brothers, You're part of the family of God. You're a brother or sister in this family. You have the support of everyone in here. That is the grace of God. That is what Paul is wishing for them. More evidences of God's grace because he likes them. All of the wonders of the Christian life, the higher experiences that we have as privileges when you're spending time in God's word and he lifts you. I don't know how to describe it. He lifts you to the third heaven and you taste of the sweetness of the goodness of God. It's the grace of God. It is the smile of God because of what Christ has done. And it is so good that we'll take the hardship to get it. That's fine. That's how good it is. And that's why as we conclude this message and really this whole letter, Paul's letter to the Galatians, that's why we acknowledge this letter matters so much today. This entire letter against the Judaizers that is at its essence an appeal to you to rest yourself in nothing but the grace of God. Don't go trying to earn the grace of God. Don't think there's any way to increase God's favor toward you outside of Christ. It's not about any of that. It is about the grace of God. That God through Christ reconciles you to himself and then from that point on blesses you so abundantly internally and externally, that if you're beaten with rods, that's fine. If your friends abandon you, it's a-okay because God is on your side. How can this be? You, you're a sinner, you know? How can this be for you that God is in favor of you and your life? Is it because of circumcision? Please say no. Please say no. No, okay. Okay, we don't have to go back. You know, it is not because of circumcision. 
It is not because of law keeping. It is because of a man 2,000 years ago crucified upon a cross, absorbing God's wrath toward you, and it is gone. And all you have left as you leave this room, as you go out there to sometimes succeed in your Christian life, to sometimes fail, as you go out there to sometimes prosper in your life, to sometimes suffer intense hardships, but all that is left as you go out there toward you from heaven is the smile and the favor of God. And he holds in his hand eternal life, your future bliss, as if it's a gift on Christmas that he is so excited to give to you. And he's holding it in secret now. It's not time. And there you are like the child crying because life is hard. Oh, but there is a good gift. And you're going to see so soon just what the grace of God needs. And to that, I say, Amen. Hey.